a pocket of beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from Brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start off with some talking and some moody clips of popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundless exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon, sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contest and of course you know it's all about games. I said slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. I've got a fun show for you today. I've got a guest that's going to talk to me about a movie that you all should go out and see. And I also have an unboxing. I've got some listener calls. I'm going to make a quick plug for a podcast here. Carl, over the Geomologist, is back. In his latest episode, he has moi on, and we talk about different things. About 20 minutes in, we start talking about power level in games and whether hit point inflation helps games, whether more complex mechanics make a game better or just make the combat last longer. And I think it's an interesting discussion that's well worth checking out. So there's a link to that in the show notes. Just a reminder, Carl is also sponsoring our contest this month. Call in, let me know your favorite sci-fi horror property. And he has a bunch of Traveler materials that he'll send to you anywhere in the world as a prize. Go back to the Sci-Fi Contest episode. There's a listing of all the prizes in there. And I will also, of course, help. We'll get together and we'll pick a charity to donate some money to. But I know it's a little bit close to our Lovecraftian movie contest, and I'm sorry about that. But, you know, it's it's his contest. It's what he wants to do. And I think it's a pretty interesting question anyhow so call in let us know the deadline for that is the 28th of october october 28th so you know don't don't delay too long there's not very many entries so right now the odds are still really good at winning we of course we do those randomly you can reach out to me a number of ways they're all listed in the show notes there's a google voicemail box for u.s callers there's a speak pipe for anybody in the world you can go to the website for the podcast leave a message there you can reach out to me on Discord and send me an audio clip. You can also send an audio clip to my email, nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you send me a text message on Discord, like I have somebody do, or if you want to just send a regular email, I can read those on the air as well. So lots of ways to enter the contest. Don't forget to do it. Um, if nothing else, we can give money to your charity. So, you know, it's, it's an upside there. Now... I'm going to get right into the show because the interview with my special guest is a little bit long, but I think it's, like I say, we talked about a really cool movie. So settle in and enjoy, and I will look forward to your feedback on not just the contest, but call me, let me know how things go. I know in the Sabres and Witchery episode that came out yesterday as this being released, the music in the background was too loud. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I did put a disclaimer in the front of it. If you heard it right away, you didn't hear that disclaimer, but there's now a disclaimer about that. I won't be doing that again, but I, I was in experimental mood, and that's what happened. So it's what I get for experimenting. Bad Jason. Anyway, let's get on to the calls. Yo, what up, Jason? That was an awesome in-depth dive that you and Daniel did into uh, Cthulhu Dark. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think it would take a special group of players, especially with that rule where you can 
make one of your fellow players fail if you roll better than them. That's a cool feature, but I'm just <laughs> I'm thinking about playing it with my group now. And yeah, if like James did that to Laura or something, <laughs> it would not go well. Um, but yeah, one thing I did notice uh, when Spencer, because he just talked about it on his episode today, he mentioned that in one of the versions, they changed the name of the insanity die, uh, the insanity die to inset or insight die. And I, to me, that works better. That seems to fit better with the fiction. You know, because Daniel pointed out, like in Cthulhu, they have that table where when you get a temporary insanity, you roll. And it's like, oh, you're you're scared of spiders. Like, what mythos stories does that happen in? You know, <laughs> like usually they're the characters minds just get so blown. They go like catatonic, basically. So, yeah, I don't know. I like the insight die better than the insanity die. But that was an awesome awesome episode again i fully support system sunday i think it's fantastic and it was super cool for you to have a guest on great work daniel great work jason peace out so joe i have to admit that that pull of an insanity table and all is not in cthulhu dark at least not the the base version of it that's something from call cthulhu so i think you're really mixing systems here cthulhu dark would recommend you do something that's appropriate for, for that phobia or that insanity you don't roll randomly so I, I do need to defend the game there and and yeah of course it's group dependent but we talked about that and and i can see the insight i guess it really depends on is that insight accurate or not and i guess if we're talking about a a universe with Cthulhu mythos then that insight in the true work is the universe yeah i can see where the insight makes more sense i i, I don't know that the name of the mechanic really matters you, you know but but I I am glad that you enjoyed the episode with Daniel and I, and I think through Dark's an interesting system. Obviously, it's you, you know like Made that you talked about over in your your show. It's definitely caters towards certain people, and, and there are definitely groups it's not going to work with. But that's okay, you know. Okay, let's move on to our next call. Hi, Jason Reese here. I just wanted to let you know I've been enjoying uh, your podcast and. Uh, as well as everybody else's has been uh, contributing to the OSR October. They've been really great. Um, I am thankful that everybody seemed to move away from the uh, negative Conan and pirate talk and back into just gaming. Um, thanks a lot. And I uh, appreciate the fact that you have a uh, direct link to the speed pipe as well. That's really helpful. So take care. Bye. Hey, Reese, thank you so much. I really appreciate the call. I'm I'm glad having those links in the show notes helps. And yeah, we're going to try to be a little light, lighter hearted for, well, it's OSR October and it's the scary movie month. So I don't know how lighthearted we're going to be, <laughs> but move away from evil characters and, and all that kind of thing for a while. Um, but I'm sure we'll return to it at some point. Okay. Now we got another call from Joe. Hey, Jason. So I'm listening to your mega unboxing and you're, you're talking about riffs. Uh, and I, I just wanted to thank you for introducing me to the Glitter Boys podcast. I think it's really cool. Those dudes are going through all the books for riffs and Palladium stuff. It's amazing. I never got into that stuff as a kid, and it's fascinating. It's fascinating hearing them. All these books are going through one by one by one by one. It, it's just a very, very cool podcast. 
those dudes seem like pretty cool dudes. And yeah, I just want to thank you for sending me that recommendation. So have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Peace out. Hey, Joe. Yeah, the Glitter Boys. I can't recommend them enough. I'll put a link in today's show notes as well. Great, great podcast for like Palladium Games. The great thing is, I mean, they're not giving you, they're, they're giving you an honest view of Palladium, right? So they the things that don't work for Palladium Games, they talk about, but they're generally a really positive podcast. They don't bash on other systems and they don't, you know, they're not making fun of the Palladium Games like some of these podcasts out there do. They're, they honestly love the system. They love Palladium. And they talk about that. They, like I say, they don't have blinders on. They talk about the negatives too. But it's coming from a place of love, not a place of derision and making fun of the system, which I really appreciate. It, it's not that cynical view that you get on so many podcasts these days. And I really appreciate that. As far as the unboxing goes, there's another one coming up right now. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Okay, another quick unboxing segment. Here's some great service from the amazing company, Smoldering Dung Games, out of Florida. I ordered, at the end of last week, this box, and it showed up today. Is a USPS postage box, just a standard 13 by... You know, almost a 14 by 11 box, right? By, by three box. But what's in here are a number of things that I should have got in person, but I couldn't go to Broadcom this year. So what we have, but we're talking just a couple day turnaround in ordering and receiving this, which is great. So I have here a couple wonderful things you can get from the Smoldering Dung site, which will be linked in the show notes. We have... So you want to be a rock star, a rock and roll role-playing game. Very cool. We have the world map for the Grog Empire. And we have the Gazetteer for the Grog Empire, the 2022 Almanac, which basically, if you think of the old Gazetteers, what happens, all of us that are quote-unquote landed, basically Patreons that paid for, for that, we all receive, well, we, we all kind of bid on different lands on the map. And we got the lands and we wrote up our own write-up of the lands like you see in the old school gazetteers. Like the old school Greyhawk gazetteer. So that's very cool. Pulling out the map, it is not just paper, but the map is kind of a, feels like a, like a really sturdy tablecloth. Like one of those, right? And, um... I'll take a, I'll put a picture of it up for the episode, but it is pretty cool. You can find it on the Grog Talk website. I'll put actually I'll just put a link to it because it'll be better to look at online than as a picture. But it's very cool, and it's got all the stuff on here. Um, yeah, very very exciting stuff. So I am very happy to have this map and this gazetteer. The Grog Talk Empire. And in addition, I have uh, additional thingies thrown in here. Isometric blanks. Maps by Jeffrey Culp. And this is by um, Fish in the Pot Games, I guess. And these are just... You can find them at fishinthepot.blog. I'll put a link to that as well. And they're just some isometric maps, which are always fun. So that is what we have 
from GrogCon. Oh, wait a minute. There's another envelope in here. The So what? So you want to be a rock star role-playing game? I really don't know anything about that. But he said, do you want to copy that too? And I said, yes, of course I do. So I will have to read that and let you know how that goes. Is It looks like one of the goals of the game is to um, avoid paying all your royalties to the Dread Tax Man. So that's cool. And in addition in here, we have... Doo -doo -doo. So I try to get everything out of the box, or the envelope. I have Flipping and Turning Limiting Engagement, the Grand Tour Flipping and Turning um, magazine. Very, very cool. And we have... Oh, very cool. Okay, so... That, that's what's on the box. Um, there, there are actually two copies of that, so I have one that I can peruse and one that I'll be able to sell for many millions of dollars on eBay down the road, which is great. And, and this flipping and turning is a special issue of flipping and turning, uh, like a special grog ton, con issue. Um, actually, it's issue nine, and it has all the standard stuff, articles by fun people, and all kinds of things in here. Um, you, you, you may even know a few of these people, like Minion over at Confessions Week, Timur Spushi, he's one of the contributing authors, so he has a piece in here, other people have stuff in here, so very cool, there's some new monsters in here, there's talking about bards in here, um, just lots and lots of cool things, so... I do recommend you check out Smoldering Gun Games if you're into AD&D First Edition. And if you're not, then, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Anyhow, that is the unboxing for today. Okay, a couple quick corrections here to that unboxing. That's the Bard issue, not the GrogCon issue, issue 9 of um, Flipping and Turning. Flipping and turning is named that, by the way, because in AD&D, since the rules are spread across different books, you have to flip and turn to find the rules across the different books. That's where that name comes from. And, you know, Kevin over the Red Caps, in some of the interviews, he's bemoaned the, the lack of joint world building anymore, something that was kind of pre-internet, he felt, or pre-social media, he felt. But, you know, that's exactly what that GrogCon map is. And that's exactly what the Grog Empire is. They, they, they had the map, and we each said, oh, I want this land, or I want that land, you know, that section of the map. And then each of us sent in what that kingdom was, you know, like I have the barony of Coldledge. And I talked about, you know, how many inhabitants there are, how it breaks down as far as the different groups go, you know, the history of the land, you know, what kind of products it produces, things like that. And, and so we, we, you know, it, it is a crowdsourced gazetteer. So there is that crowdsourced joint world building happening on smaller scales. You know, in this case, obviously, it's with the Grog Talk Empire, but it's out there. So, you know, these things are happening in corners of the hobby. They're just maybe not in your face by big names and talked about on YouTube and stuff. Well, they are talked about on YouTube. If you watch Grog Talk, you know, the Saturday morning AD&D um, cartoon hour. So definitely check that out, folks. Okay, let's get to that interview. So this interview is Ray Otis joins me to talk about 1942's Cat People. It is a great interview about that movie. We touch on other movies as well. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey folks, I do need to tell you there are heavy spoilers for the 1942 Cat People, and I guess also the 80s remake of Cat People. 
So if you haven't seen Cat People and you want to see it, you don't want to be spoiled, then just stop the episode now and wait till my next show. But if you've seen Cat People or you're not worried about spoilers, tune in because we have a great talk. And Ray even gives his pick. He gives his um, entry for the sci-fi contest this month. He gives it early, kind of slips it in there. So there's that too. Lots of fun stuff. Enjoy. Okay, folks, I've got a special segment for you today. Mr. Ray Otis reached out to me and he wanted to talk about a movie. How are you doing this morning, Ray? Yeah, I'm great. I did. I I, I love the 1942 movie Cat People, and I um, reached out and said I, I wanted to talk about that. Seems like the right time of the year for it. Definitely, definitely. Cat People is a wonderful movie, um, as as we know. And uh, well, I'll let you pronounce the director's name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna guess Jacques Tourneur. There we go. Um, yeah. and, and I guess it's Simone Simon who stars. Right. Um, yeah. So she is great in it. It's a just a great movie. I rewatched it yesterday. And yeah. So 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 what about it grabs you, Ray? What what's, what's Well, let me just uh let me just start by saying it's it's um beautifully shot. It's like a film noir horror movie. It was done on a low budget. Um, totally outperformed what everybody expected it to as a film by RKO Pictures, and um, it just has a has a really nice uh, tight progression of plot. I feel like even though the movie has an overall slowness to it that that is indicative of older movies, you know that I like. Not everybody does. Um, it never feels like it's wasting time. It's it's steadily marching toward the culmination and it's just eerie i mean i i I really like it um yeah i don't know what else to say other than i made the mistake last night of watching i had never seen the remake and so so i watched the original again uh, loved it and then i thought i'll give the remake a spin um the only thing i knew about the remake was that a friend of mine had given me a recording of the david bowie song at the end that Uh is kind of rehashed through the whole movie and i kind of like it but Oh, what a mess that movie is. Um, it's it's kind of just soft porn uh, body horror remake with very little relationship to the original. Honestly, there's a few shout outs, a few. Uh, there's one shot by shot scene, which we'll just call the pool scene. Right, right. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a few little nods to the original, but mostly it's a completely different film. And uh, I d- cannot recommend it, but I can recommend the, the original. <laughs> So so let's talk really quick. So a ton of movies were made the this spawned a ton of movies, right? Mm-hmm. It spawned a sequel. Well, it spawned two sequels, really. It, it spawned the sequel of The Curse of the Cat People, which has Robert Wise, who returns as Ollie, uh, Oliver mm-hmm. Reed. And Simone Simon also returns, but she's a ghost in this one who who hits up Ollie's daughter Amy and becomes her invisible friend. Right. <laughs> really isn't the movie. actor I think the actor's Kent Smith, isn't it? Uh Kent Smith is yes, he played uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I said Robert Wise. He directed yeah. Happy I said, Yeah, no, you're right. right. Kent Smith plays Ollie. And, and we'll come back to that. I, I'm I'm gonna hit these mm-hmm. other movies really quickly and then and we'll yeah, please. dive into Cat People, which is the good movie. Um The Seventh Victim is the other spin-off of this where the psychiatrist character t- who's played by Tim Conway, Dr. Judd. He's like mm. a creepy psychiatrist in this and, and cat <laughs> people will talk about him. Um, but he is doing another case and, and they, he, and he's, and they name him, the sa- he's named the same thing, you know, Dr. Judd. And he even references how 
he had had a patient before as a raving lunatic. So it doesn't, it's supposed to be kind of a prequel, which doesn't really work because, you know, time wise, but they wanted tied in for, you know, cash grab kind of thing. Right. Um, right. It, it did the, I, I did watch one other movie. I watched the 1957 movie Cat Girl, which is a British American movie. And it's not, it, they try to recreate the canary scene from this, not very well. Mm. Um, in, in this one, there's a family curse. And instead of turning into a, a cat of some sort, they there's a psychic connection with this leopard and and they can kind of control this leopard and have these urges uh, when they, right. but the same the same triggers like anger or lust the same kind of triggers um but it yeah it, it's kind of, it's not very good but but yeah that was the one i watched i, I, I think though that really probably hits on a that probably hits on a a good theme which is it's more it's more psychological horror mm-hmm. than even though yeah there is a straight up kind of where where creature concept going here it's really more of a psychological horror film so i could see it being done as a as more of a like a mental tie to leopards and panthers than than actual physical transformation yeah it that that one it, it's not great it's okay it's got they they the they when they saw that there wasn't any transformation in that movie I guess the producers mm-hmm. got angry and, and they had somebody else film this horrible cat <laughs> costume with these like gloves that were supposed to be paws and this mask uh, that's only shown like out of focus. And, but, um, but well, I will say this though. I, it's sort of a spoiler to say that there's transformation well, a little, well, I think yeah, everybody, well, I'll put a spoiler in front of the segment. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we need to that, talk spoilers. But we have to. But everybody knows that. But it's in the film. I think this is one of those where suspension of disbelief will carry you through. It's okay that you know that there's transformation. It's just that in the beginning, um, the the character in the film, it's uncertain, right? Is she crazy? Is is it real? Is it not real? It reminds me a little bit of Unbreakable that way, where you weren't mm-hmm. sure if Bruce Willis was really a superhero or not. You know. Well, well, and to be fair, until really until the end you could it could be played where she doesn't you know the transformation really isn't confirmed 100 percent until the scene in the apartment with the psychiatrist yeah until that point it's and even then you could argue it's not 100 percent confirmed until we see the again full spoilers folks until we see the sword the sword cane the piece of sword cane sticking out of her shoulder right that's yeah really your your first i I mean you know it but but they could played it off so let's go super heavy spoiler yeah. and just point out that um, when she's doing sketches in the beginning. OK, there's a, there's one there's one flaw in this movie that bugs me a little bit, which is so we open up on her at, at the zoo. This main character, right. Simone uh, Simon, plays her and she's got this wonderful yeah, little Irina. All and and like they did a great job of casting her. I think there was some discussion about casting a more cat-like woman, but but the director decided it would be better to have just kind of this very mm-hmm. um cute uh you know kind of like and, and she does a great job as like an immigrant. She you know she feels like she's from Serbia and so she's she's standing there drawing uh, a panther on this gigantic sketch pad and she's she she like draws for two seconds and then tears off a piece of paper and throws it right and that's how she meets this guy is because she throws it to trash can and misses it which is kind of a funny like that's so like junior high right in a good way um i feel like that was a clever mechanism to get the two characters together but she clearly does not have enough time to draw the the thing that we see that's thrown on the ground which is a panther with a with it almost looks like a tattoo it's a panther with a sword sticking through it right um 
right? Yeah. I, yeah. So, so Simone Simons, she's adorable in this. She actually does a great job. All the actors do a really good job in this, but she she really pulls this off. Now she is French as opposed to you know Serbian, but but she does a great job. They do have a Catwoman we meet later, uh, Elizabeth Russell, who does reappear in the Curse of the Catwoman in the in the sequel. But okay, yeah. although her voice was dubbed by Simone Simon when when she greets her when she calls her sister. Really? In the rest okay. Of, yeah. 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 Um, but no, I I think that yeah you bring it you it's I I don't know I I do think the actors all did a good job here and I think but really it's the the knockout like you say is is the the photography, the you, you, you know, the choreography, yeah, the, the director, the way the, the film was composed. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the the script apparently was kind of a labor of love. Um, it went through a lot of hands. Mm-hmm. One uh, one of the writers, I, I didn't write down the names. I'm sorry, but um, had, you know, it was based on Algernon Blackwood's Ancient Sorceries, which is a great short story um, yep. about a guy's traveling through um, kind of a remote part of Europe and comes uh, you know for for lack of a better way to describe it comes on a village of cat people and uh, <laughs> and it was written in 1906 originally uh and when um when the script was done um as a homage to that or not an homage to that as essentially a, re- a telling of that or film filming of that um they decided they didn't want a period piece and so they moved it which i think was wise i think it works it's better actually than the short story the movie is i think um mm-hmm. But yeah, let's. Can we just go? I want to go beat for beat on this a little bit oh, because sure, the way, sure. yeah, let's do the it. way let's, the the way yeah. the film builds to me is so exciting. No, um, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah. So you have this courtship in the beginning, right? You have the the where um, it's a very quick between Simone Simon. Well, let's just use their act uh, the characters' names. It's Irina and Oliver, right? right. Yep. And and we should say at the at the bottom of this, uh, there's a kind of a lovers' triangle between mm-hmm. Irina, Oliver, and. Uh, Alice, thank you, uh, which is a name they reuse in the the remake. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a kind of a debate. And Alice is Oliver's coworker, and uh, Arena is supposedly a an illustrator for fashion design. And um, what is Alice also in fact? What they're engineers you know, or something? They're engineers. Right? They, they do they're engineers. Doing engin- yeah, engineer. Yeah, yeah. drawings. Yeah, right. Because Kent has a slide ruler in his hand mm-hmm. half the time. His mm-hmm. job is to sit at the end of the table with a slide ruler and give numbers, right. uh, which he frequently messes up because he's thinking about Simone Simon uh, mm-hmm. Arena, which is understandable. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Uh, so it's funny because they meet. They have this little interaction in the park in this kind of wonderful way that is represents like what was seen as romantic dialogue back in the day, you know, kind of clever little back and forth um, rep- mm-hmm. repartee. Um, and they're walking back and, and uh, Kent Smith, I think suggests dinner at some point and, or tea. And uh, she, she refuses, but then she says, you know, have tea in my apartment. And he, he makes a comment like, wow, you make it easy on a guy. And it, and there's this immediate suggestion of sexuality right that mm-hmm. that um this is the cosmopolitan it's it's a what city does is it does it say what city it happens in i don't i want to say I mean, new york I but assume i don't new york but i i don't yeah. know yeah um, i don't know that yeah i don't know oh, no, that, it says but... central park zoo in new york city at least in the plot summary so okay yeah new york yeah. city okay yeah. there you go uh the yes and uh and so um Right. And so you go up into her apartment and you realize that, well, first of all, it's a brownstone facade, but then it's just this gorgeous apartment inside. And uh, unlike a brownstone, it has kind of a 
it, it's almost a, it, it's almost funny because the the character says Oliver says oh and it never cease to amaze me what what hides behind the mm-hmm. front of a brownstone it's almost like this um it's a double staircase like uh, <laughs> what 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 would you call it a plantation style it, yeah I, I mean it's it's beautiful Our apartment's huge and, mm-hmm. and his apartment building there are other tenants in the apartment yeah. building you know um, it's almost like they had that set they wanted to use and they just said oh we'll just say it's in a brownstone well, and- well it's a reuse set it, okay it, that's it, why it is yeah. actually yeah it's a reuse okay. set from well, um, low budget folks um, yeah. but it doesn't look low budget ever i don't mm-hmm. feel like um so you go up to her you go up to her room and and she can hear the cats screaming from the zoo through a window and and there's some there's some like telling moments here she's like she says oh it's the panther it screams like a woman i like it it's dark it's friendly you know and then, and then she's got but i make it sound creepy but somehow she seems to that uh simone simon doesn't make it sound creepy she just makes it sound like she's an unusual girl right right the, yeah the, the 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 sound of the lions or, or like the waves to other people to her right yeah exactly yeah. right and it's um no she's great and that but but then we get into this discussion because and he asked about this statue little statue yeah. that she has on, on her desk which is king john of serbia and he, he's holding a sword or, or spear with an impaled cat on it and he's like, what's this? And then she talks about her village and how, you know, people had turned from God to Satan during an invasion. And and King John had come and cleaned out the village. And then the, the worst people fled into the mountains. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. She's talking about uh, Serbia. And the he, he said that uh, King John, she said that King John drove out the Mamluks, which, right. uh, Mamluks, mm-hmm. which uh, literally translates to one who is owned Mamluk. And it's so they were they were slaves of uh, various and they escaped. Right. And mm-hmm. kind of formed a colony there. And uh, yeah. So so this introduces the theme of like hereditary evil, which is right. big at, at this sort of. All right. So then basically then we progress into seeing this love triangle brewing. We get right away that Alice uh, played by Jane Randolph. She's really good in this. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, is probably likes Oliver, but that's not stated up front that that happens a little later. Um, and then, and then we move into this. Uh, then we move into just uh, like increasing strangeness, a phase of like increasing strangeness. Like Oliver buys uh, Arena a kitten, and the kitten doesn't like her, and she says like, "Oh, you know, cats don't seem to like me." And then so you go, they go back and they exchange it for a canary, and um, and then there's this amazing scene with the canary and it play, I won't spoil it too much, but you know, it's just like how how you would expect a cat and a bird to play out, right? Right. Um, so that doesn't go so well either. And they fall in love then. Um, but, and she says, uh, she says, I've dreaded this day, you know, because she knows there's something strange about her. Um, and he says, it's weird that I love you, even though we haven't kissed. And so you get this, uh, it, it's inferred uh, right away that, um, that they have this love relationship that is both sexual and not sexual, right? Like they're attracted to each other sexually, but they can't, it can't happen for some reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that play to you? Did you, did you, did you like that whole? Yeah, I, I think it worked. You know, she's, she's just give me a little bit of time. Um, and, and I think everything's implied well enough. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they really had to do a whole lot more with it. And, and, and during this, this build up, I, we never actually see the wedding, right? We see maybe the no. Uh, we, a, we see a party either right before or right after the wedding. I, I'm not sure which. Maybe it was right after the wedding, where they're in the restaurant, and that's where the the other lady comes. You know, the Elizabeth Russell comes and and greets her. He calls her sister in Serbian. 
And um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a weird time, uh, kind of a time jump there. You're right. They're having a party Mm -hmm. and and, uh, Alice and some of the other coworkers and things are there. And they're basically saying like, you know, to the bride or whatever. And then somebody says kind of on talking on the side, like, "Mm, I've read she's a strange girl. And um, and you're right. There's this other uh, it's funny because there's this woman sitting at the table next to them. And a, a gentleman at the party turns to her and says, uh, "What's I, I wrote it down here. Oh, look at that woman. Isn't she something? And the other one says, looks like a cat. Right. And then, you know, mm-hmm. which is this film is both subtle and heavy handed at the same time, which yeah. is funny because they they do not lack for giving you clues as to what's going on. And yet you find that your brain has to kind of work to say, like, is this real? Did they just what does she mean by that? What is, you know, um, so, yeah, this woman stands up and talks to her in Serbian and and um they ask her what she said and, and uh, they ask Simone, uh, uh, sorry, Arena, what, mm-hmm. what the woman said. And she said, Oh, she said she greeted me as a sister and she's disturbed because I think Arena also doesn't know about herself. Right. Well, she's worried. She, she fears she's worried. Yeah. This is the case that she's one of these uh-huh. evil w- women, you know, like you say, hereditary evil and that she'll turn into a cat, turn into a leopard or whatever. If this, you know, if she, her emotions get too strong, I guess. So she doesn't can't keep a cap on her emotions effectively, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but she's not sure. So I think this it's a, maybe this levels a... of marriage, right? This or at least marriage without physical affection. And yeah, I think it starts off as a loving marriage, but it right. grows increasingly distant because they can't, uh, they don't have any intimacy, right? Like mm-hmm. they, yeah. Um, and he and and she says, "Be to be fair, like she goes into the marriage saying, be patient with me.'" And he is patient with her, right? Like you get the sense that a good deal of time passes, but um, you know, every night she just kind of goes into her room and shuts the door. And uh, yeah, they, and they, they shows, yeah. Or, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just saying they don't even progress to kissing. So. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, no kissing. And they do show the passage of time instead of doing cards and showing six months later, whatever. They show change of seasons. So we mm-hmm. see snow, you know, and and you know, first we have like what obviously summer, and when they first meet, it's obvious, you know. It's spring or summer, maybe, but but then you know later on we have snow falling, and so they use the seasons to show that progression of time, you know, yeah, instead that's of right. in your face with with like well, that's and that's that's it, isn't it? The film is all show and not tell. There's very mm-hmm. little like explication. It's just like you're supposed to get it from what you see. You can't do something else and watch this film. I don't think. I mean, you could, but it's well, you're going to miss a lot of this. Yeah. yeah, you'll miss out. Yeah. And I don't think it's hard to watch. It's like one that grabs your attention. Uh, well, it feels it's, like it's yeah, it's like seventy-two minutes. It's you know, it's a, it's yeah, a short it's movie. Yeah, right. it's yeah, and 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 so we we have this going on, and he so he starts to reach out more to Alice, you, you know, mm-hmm. for for that comfort, not necessarily physical comfort, but just that companionship that he's not getting from his wife. And then he, you know, and and we this is on the screen, but he so he comes to his wife and he suggests. You know, she sees a psychiatrist because she's got problems. And, and mm-hmm. so she'll so she goes to a psychiatrist and she comes back from the psychiatrist and, and the psychiatrist, like, like we mentioned before, this Dr. Judd, you know, he's, he's a little bit stuck up like mm-hmm. you might expect a psychiatrist. We'll talk about him yeah. in a little bit. But yeah. when she get, gets back to the apartment, Alice is in the apartment and Alice know and Kent had told her about, you know, the, the problem. Or not, um, I'm sorry. Ollie had told her about the problems that Simone had. Or Irene ahead because Alice is the one that recommended that psychiatrist. So she's like, "Oh, well, how did you do with, with the psychiatrist?" And this makes Irene really angry. 
And, and that, yeah, I think that's it's really the, uncomfortable, right? Yeah. That's the, you know, and she's like, goodbye, like get out of my apartment. And, and that mm-hmm. was, and that's where the, the jealousy I think really starts at that point. And then they really start playing up the love triangle after that point. That's the turn. That's, that's for sure. The turn, um, everything up to that is kind of like foreboding. Um, mm-hmm. in fact, and there, there's a scene before, I think it's before that where she's talking to the zoo, a guy cleaning up at the yes. zoo and, um, you know, and she says it's beautiful, and he says it ain't pretty, it's evil. And and then he quotes something from the Bible, and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and he makes this big point out, like unto a leopard, like he says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, okay, we get it. Yeah, it's not just a leopard, but um, yeah, uh, but you're right, that's uh that's an uncomfortable scene, and they do a good job of making it uncomfortable. And up to that point, um, so Grace has told Oliver that she loves him. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, but she even, she does it in such a way that it's not an offer. She just kind of says, it's kind of like a, well, you know, I've always loved you. You know, you might as well, I might as well say it. And, but, but kind of comes off of like, but I know we can only be friends. And she ends up like giving him a handshake. Right. And like, and that's kind of their joke is that they give each other handshakes and um, mm-hmm. instead of hugs or kisses. And up to that point, there's no reason for Irina to be jealous. Like Oliver is completely devoted to her. and. Right. Yeah. But the so but that is really a big turning point in Oliver's mind, because, yeah, Alice, when she does that, confesses her love for him, but, you know, says, you know, I know it can't be. But she talks about what she thinks love is. And and Oliver admits that, you know, well, that he doesn't think that's what he has with Irina. And so that's where she, like, gets the, you know, the seed in his mind and and the doubt really going. He the doubt was there, but she really got it, got the ball rolling with that speech. Because he started thinking about, you know, what, what is love and what, what am I really looking for? Gosh, this, this movie is so good. The more I think about it, the better it gets. Like this, so Oliver plays this guy and he says, like, good things have always happened for me. Right. Like they just, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, and he he's kind of like never been unhappy, doesn't really know what love is. Like he's, he's very kind of naive because everything's just kind of gone his way. Right. And so now he's confronted with a real problem in his life. Like... You know, and he's trying to decide, does he love this girl? Does it now? This is one thing that um there's a couple lines in the remake that that I feel now are kind of clever looking back, which which is uh um in the remake, uh there's a comment made by um oh who's the guy that plays um in Clockwork Orange McDowell. Is uh, it Mal- Malcolm McDowell, yeah. He's Malcolm in- McDowell, right? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. he's in it, and uh he says, um, I think it's him that I think it's him that says it. He says you know, um, he's talking about the main characters, the Oliver um, c- uh, counterpart. He says, you know, his he thinks he's he's afraid, but he thinks his fear is love. And then mm-hmm. he says to another uh, about the this other woman that uh, likes him. She goes, uh, she thinks his fear is courage or whatever. And it's all this thing about mistaken emotions. And yeah, so this is really interesting discussion about what is love, right? And she Grace does this admirable job of pitching what she thinks love is, and it's clever and but it gets Oliver thinking, right? That that he wants a friend, not just uh not just someone that he lives with that he's attracted to but can't touch, you know. Right. Like a like a almost like a bird in a cage or something there, like a pretty thing. But um, and and so she had stopped she stops going to the psychiatrist after the first visit. And and yeah. she's and she's lying to him about, you know, going, but she's not really going. And then they they start he starts actually being pretty mean to her, like that. Trip to the museum. Maybe I'm jumping ahead too far. I, I think that's roughly. No, I think that's. Uh, 
That's yeah, we don't really need to go. I, I really beat for beat. I kind of wanted to do the beginning. The rest of it yeah. is a, co- a compilation of scenes of the progression, right? It's this thing, mm-hmm. this train's been set in motion and it's just going to carry us through. So yeah, there's a scene at the museum where uh, he and Grace and the, he, he makes an attempt, I think, to have kind of a, a triangular relationship where to make to have his friend Grace and to make Alice. he wants Grace he wants great uh, sorry yeah uh, Alice he wants Alice and uh, Irina to be friends I think because mm-hmm. then he can kind of have everything maybe I'm not sure what he's going for yeah, there but it's but he he really yeah. comes off kind of um <laughs> so so she's looking at a ship and 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 it's obvious that Oliver yeah. and sorry my dog's trying to be needy <laughs> um but a- Allison and, and Oliver are obviously into ships because. But well, yeah. so she's looking at this model ship in the museum and, and he's like, well, why don't you go look at something else and we'll meet you in an hour because you're not really interested in this. And, right. and then he and he and Alice just walk away from her and look at it. You know, you go, oh, look, that's a painting of the, you know, the HMS Victory or whatever it was. And or she says it's the HMS Victory. And he's like, yeah, that was the last ship to have blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so they obviously have a lot in common. Right. Alice yeah. and Ollie do. And they pretty much just like show her off as a third wheel at the museum. Like, oh, meet us in an hour. Yeah, it is mean. I would say this, though, that, you know, she starts off by distancing herself like she's cut part of herself off from Mm -hmm. Oliver. So then Oliver has inevitably, I feel like, responds by starting to cut parts of himself off from her. Right. So I don't want to get into this like, well, she did it first. She started lying or whatever, because, yeah, it is. You're right. It is mean. It is mean. They start to treat her as kind of like the weird person that she kind of is. And instead of trying to help her, he just kind of start kind of almost sort of throws his hands up at one point right Right. um and and then do we get the when's the is after the museum the the stalking scene i believe so yeah yeah which is filmed so great i mean this is one of these the the parts of the movie it's well worth seeing because so alice goes you know he he asks to walk her home she's no i can walk i'm bigger i can walk home my own yeah And, and irene is following her and you know it's a suspense of her following her and then you know, late, then she starts hearing. You don't see Irene anymore, but Alice starts hearing the, like a panther growl, you, you know, in the background, mm-hmm. and, and and she hears like rustling and and things. And finally, a bus shows up, and she gets on the bus, and you see the top of the trees swaying like there's a panther. Something yeah, like a panther's crashing through the. Yeah, I, I will make one correct. It wasn't after the movie. I remember now. So um, it, there was a confrontation in the apartment, and he gets frustrated, and so he just basically goes to work, and. Uh, and it turns out that she's at work too. But before he goes to work, he decides he's there's a woman cleaning. It's kind mm-hmm. of a funny scene mm-hmm. where there's a woman cleaning the revolving door, and he decides, eh, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'm just going around the corner of the coffee shop. Right. So when when Grace leaves work, she's told that he's at the coffee shop. So they meet at the coffee shop, just kind of incidentally. But Irina, who's stalking uh, Oliver, sees them together at the coffee shop, and it kind of confirms her worst fears, even right. though it, it isn't what she thinks it is. Um, really, but yeah, but then I, it, I thought the pool, but it's flirting with that, that it, right? It doesn't matter though. It's yeah, it's it's great. It's the like the scene where they part ways, where you said, mm-hmm. like she says, I can walk home myself, I'm a big girl. There's an implied offer when he says, Let me walk you home. There's kind of an implication that, like, maybe if I walk you home, something will happen, right? right? Like, you get that feeling, so mm-hmm. yeah, and, and 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 this kind of thing goes on, and then we have the pool scene, which is the you know, yeah, your, your your big famous thing here, the the scene they copied beat for beat for the remake in '82, and the pool scene is shot so well, uh, and, yeah, and just a shadow, and you you just have to watch it, folks. And if you Google cat people pool scene, it'll pop up on YouTube, and you can watch it and see. Mm-hmm. But it, but it's so well done, and and you know Simone Simon's not a big lady, right? She's 
you know. No, yeah, right. She's very, yeah, she's petite. Yeah, but she, but it's the the menace you get there, and and Alice is just, she's totally frightened of her. She won't even get out of the pool with her there, and she's scared to death of her. It's obvious that, you know, Simone's. Yeah, and I don't know how. Irina is, um. Arena. I don't know how yeah. racy that scene was for the time. Um, I mean, this is pretty far suit. back. Yeah, 1942. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a full body suit, but it was, um, you know, it was not a, it didn't have like fluffy uh, skirt, skirting or anything like that. Oh, it no, was, it was, yeah, it was a one piece right, swimsuit like today. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it really shows off her form. And, and, um, and I, I think that there's some, you know, again, I think this film has. Uh, a strong undercurrent of sexuality, which mm. the remake totally gets wrong and just makes into a strong overcurrent right. of sexuality. <laughs> right, definitely. <laughs> but but um, there's no subtlety to the the new one. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's cool. I mean, it it's the first of all the it's super eerie because she's the only one in the pool. The pool's in like the basement of the apartment complex, mm-hmm. or it feels like that. Um, and you get the light. I don't know how they did it at the time, but you know it's the light playing off the water that's cascading all around the walls. And like, this is the kind of thing where um, it would take a lot of work to get that visually back in 1943. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, the pool scene is amazing. The the other thing they do. And and we talk about how like that one movie I watched cat, cat girl has the, you know, the the crappy makeup and all they, they, Mm -hmm. they, she has, uh, Irene has a nightmare and there, and there's just a really short scene of these cartoon cats in her, her animated right. cat, but but it's so I well done. About it doesn't, that. Yeah. doesn't take away anything from the movie. It's 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 perfect. Right. The idea that the, you know this is seeping in her brain, she can feel because she talks about I can hear them or I can feel them around me or I can yeah. you know, whatever. And, yeah. and it, it it just implies that perfectly, and it's not overdone. And even though it's obviously animation, it it just fits right in. It's really spooky. You know, you see, just kind of. Yeah, it, it's just yeah. so well done. So well done. Um, now, I was reading something about you mentioned that uh, in the stalking scene that mm-hmm. uh, Grace gets on the bus. Um, I was reading something that that was kind of the origin of the jump scare. Mm, maybe the air brakes on the bus. Um, and they, they even call it they have a name for it. I think they called it the bus, the bus trick. Yeah, the bus trick is what they called it. And they tried it in a couple different. Uh, they even did it in the remake. And uh, again, I, I don't know why I keep mentioning the remake because I, I watched it. So you don't have to, as you said about <laughs> uh, Rob zombies, monsters remake, right. um, please, please don't go watch that. It's not worth watching, but uh, unless you just want to stare at Natasha Kinski, which I can't fault you for but right. Um, now, now we're talking about the cat people remake, not the monsters. Yeah. The, Natasha Kinski is not the monsters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's true. Let's make that Might clear. have improved it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's all I really have to say about it. It's just I, I, it's a movie I watch every October mm-hmm. and it's um, I feel like it's just it, it ought to, it really needs to be in, you know, uh, the Hall of Fame of movies. I don't know if it's as well thought of. I know it's well thought of. I don't know if it's as well thought of as it should be, honestly. I, I agree with that. I, I think so we. So we kind of mentioned we were going to mention the psychiatrist. So let's talk, Doctor Judge. Just really oh, right. Sorry. We got to talk about the moment. creepy psychiatrist. Yeah, because because he is he's he's sitting there and in this there's a scene where he's telling her he could commit her for what she's doing, and he's and he's pointing at her with a cigarette when he's doing it. Yeah, and you just want to smack that cigarette right out of his hand. You know, he's you know he's he's stuck up, but there's obviously you can tell he's attracted to her, and and it's implied that he has you 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 know unprofessional mm-hmm. admirations for this patient, right? We'll we'll put it that way. 
I, I think it's implied a couple times. He's he's creepy in all the ways a psychologist can be creepy. Yes. Right. He's yeah. He's kind of like he he pretends to know her better than she knows herself. He um he's uh patronizing. Mm-hmm. Uh he's uh sexist um and he's a predator at the same time. Yeah, he's got he does a great job with that. Uh yeah. And yet he never crosses a line. Well, at the very end, he, he kind of does. Kind of does, but I just meant like in the workup, he doesn't cross the line where you absolutely mm-hmm. see him as a bad character. I mean, he's not a good guy. I don't know how to say that. Um, yeah, well, he's again, conceited, but he's not relatively subtle. Let, yeah, he's not. He's you, you get the vibe of a little bit of lechery there, but nothing. Yeah, but it's not. But until the very end, it doesn't really come out. Um, right, and she does need help, so it's kind of yeah. one of those things where, and he's not far off the mark with some of the things he says. Some some of them are completely mm-hmm. wrong, but yeah, the, I don't know. The other scene that, that I think is worth pointing out because it's so well done, because it's subtle but it's so well done, is so finally it. Um, Ollie tells her he, you know, he's sorry, but he needs a divorce, and and yeah. when he walks out of the apartment, she's there, uh, you know, crying against the couch or against the. I don't know if she's crying, but she's you know against the couch. And 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 her and she and she, and her nails rip down the cushion and and, mm-hmm. and rip the cushion open like a cat like a cat's claws would, we, mm-hmm. it, but it, I mean it doesn't like imply that her hands turn into a claw, but it's just so well done that that cushion rip is is just perfect. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe we've implied it, but I think one thing we haven't stated is the whole idea is uh, why she refrains from uh, sexual mm-hmm. contact is if her emotions get too worked up, she'll she's afraid she will do something bad. Right. And it's just kind of implied, but you know, we know it's, she's afraid she'll turn into a cat, essentially a, a panther, um, which, which she does yeah. because the psychologist, she does, end, yeah. <laughs> you know, the psychologist, this Dr. Judd, he grabs her, you know, I'll prove to you. And he, and he kisses her. And then now you never see a transformation. It's just in shadows. So it right. switches to yep. the wall. And we see the shadows, of the wall of all of a sudden a panther's there and it jumps on him and, you know, kills him, but he has a sword cane that he had showed us earlier in the movie yeah way earlier yeah yeah and um but no it's a great great movie folks you definitely need to check it out it's interesting because my wife always you know she talks about like as far as relationships go she always says that you can't let anybody be nicer to you than your spouse is and i I don't know how good that is for people's long-term mental health but it definitely would help you not get into compromising friendships could be compromised into something else that's good advice which is what happens in this movie you know, he gets yeah. in that friendship and he and he gets lets himself get closer to Alice than he is to his wife, um, which, again, is <laughs> yeah. uh, again, that's that, I'm not giving people relationship advice. But it, it this movie reminded me of that thing. Of, you know, when our wife well, it's a tragedy, that. right? Yeah. You look at oh, it, yeah. you understand you understand why everybody does what they do. Some people you don't like because of the psychiatrist, what he does, he does what he does because he's kind of a jerk. Um, mm-hmm. But other people do what they do just because it's the way the fate train is you know has caught them up like he was attracted to arena he didn't understand his attraction to arena but uh his attraction wasn't really founded in love but they end up getting married and then they and then they have issues because it can't be what she and arena's not happy either you know she wants she says i want to be your wife in in all the ways that means and you know and so there's just it's a hard situation for everybody and you can see that it's going to end in tragedy and of course it does now i you said you never see the transformation and that's true um and i just want to point out that one of the things that i like about the film is not i don't get into the cliche about don't show the monster too much and all that kind of stuff but that that is true um 
but it's the plausible deniability where if any one of these characters would ever run out and tell somebody like, oh my God, this woman turned into a panther, nobody would believe them. And they wouldn't have any reason to believe them because you can't, like, there's no proof there, right? Well, well, and especially, and and even for the viewer, like I say, up till that point in the apartment where she does, because she's stolen the key to the panther cage. So, like, you you could easily see where she's like, got this panther free and it is sickening on people or something right right exactly you know? yeah yeah right um where she's engineered a panther mm-hmm. attack as opposed to being i i think it would be i think it's fair to watch the film with this concept in your head of can i write all this off as a psychological thing and not a real thing and see how right. far you can take that um yeah Wow. So yeah, I, when I when I suggested we talk about this, I hadn't rewatched it when I said that, and I saw you were watching it. I'm like, well, I better freshen up on it, and I kind of wanted to watch it anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's on HBO. Uh, if you got HBO Max right now, because you're watching House of Dragons or something, you can grab it there. Um, the remake, I I actually paid four dollars for off of Amazon, which is four dollars I could have spent on a Wendy's cheeseburger or something instead, um, <laughs> and been happier. But <laughs> to rent it, you know. Yep. Um, but but. Um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go on too much, too much, but it's just, I, I just think yeah. it's a great movie. No, I, by I the way, you I, have a, go oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I, I, I was just going <laughs> <laughs> this is what gorilla podcasting is like folks. Exactly. Um, no, I was going to say, no, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned it and, and brought up cause you're right. It's one of these movies that is kind of lost in the shuffle. We think of universal monster movies and RKO did their own, mm-hmm. you know, King Kong, you know, that's all RKO, but th- those movies aren't as well-known And this movie. I-, I feel this movie, the original gets lost. And when people think cat people, they think of the 82 remake. They, yeah. And this one is just lost in, in history, which is a shame because this is such a superior movie. Yeah. The remake did irreparable damage to the idea of this, of the original. And this is a case where the remake isn't just bad. It's damaging. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're right. It's what people and and because it was so full of like just full frontal nudity and like uh, adult themes and body horror and stuff for the time, it was really pushing the edge. Even now, you look at it as an R film and you think, "Wow, this goes pretty far for an R film." Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, and of course that was the '80s, but uh, early '80s especially. The um, but it does that meant a lot of people talked about it. Right. And there's themes. They added the theme of incest, which is very disturbing. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of stuff going on in that movie that makes it ugly and kind of stupid. And, and, uh, but certainly w- worth chatting about. Right. Um, so all the cooler talk is about that movie and not about the original, which is just, a, it's awesome. So now I was going to say that you have a contest going on right now about movies. Uh, and they're about horror movies, but specifically about sci fi horror movies. And, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Carl Rodriguez, the gemologist presents, has sponsored this, and he's got some traveler um, modules that he's giving away to the winner that we're going to mail mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. And, and of course, I'll always do my normal charity thing, where we'll give give some money to charity as well. Right. But um, yeah. So, and people have till the twenty eighth of October to to call in their entries of their favorite sci fi horror property. It could be a movie, it could be a book, whatever. Well, I'm just, I'm saying I'm going to cheat because, you know, it takes me a long time to get mm-hmm. my entry in. I'll, I'm going to get my entry in now. No, you guys talk, you guys talked about what might be A and A1, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, two of the top movies of all time. If you got to talk about sci-fi horror mixes, right? right? There's plenty of sci-fi movies I like. There's plenty of horror movies I like. But finding that perfect blend of sci-fi and horror, 
um, isn't tricky to find. It's just that there's, I was kind of struggling on my way in to think of a movie that I would enter into this thing. So um, I went through head in my head, something like Matango, which I don't think is really Mm sci-fi, but, um, and then, uh, and then I thought about, um, Oh, I can't, I can't even come up with it now. So anyway, oh, Angry Red Planet, which I mm-hmm. which is not a good, which is not a great movie, but has funny, um, interesting things going on in it, uh, which I've talked about before on my podcast. But the one I think I'm going to pick is one that I, uh, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. I'm, um, I'm, I, I'm not. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have the beautiful composition that Cat People does, and yet it's still a very cool movie, and it defines what I think of as atomic horror, um, which is the kind of, you know, 1950s, 1960s, post World War II, um, where radiation isn't fully understood, and, and it's this kind of concept of like giant monsters coming out with the bad, the bad radiation is going to lead to bad things. We have to almost think about it metaphorically because we don't really understand it yet. Um, and also the truth is too horrific, right? You have to kind of get away from the truth a little bit. So I'm going to them, uh, mm-hmm. them with an exclamation point, I think, right? Yes, uh, yes it does. About, yep. about giant ants in the desert with uh, uh, Marshall Dillon. Um, what's his name? Uh, Arnez, James Arnez. James Arnez, yep. Yeah, playing the main character. Um and that movie has some great, like horrific sound effects. And it was one of those movies that I would see on TV uh, every day at three o'clock. They had the three million dollar movie out where I was like, you know, across the nation, there were these things going on. They didn't have always have the same name. Mm-hmm. It was like local programming, but uh, monster movies, they would play them in the afternoons just as filler. And so when I get home from school, I would run, run off the bus, right? Because I get home a little later than three and I would run inside and turn on the TV and try to catch these monster movies, but they'd always be 15 minutes in or something. So I'd usually miss the first bit, but um, them was on quite a bit during that time. And I, uh, I, I like that one a lot. I, I, I do too. I, ever since I was a kid, I did. I mean, I, I remember back, I had the Avalon Hill war game for the, you know, the boxed bookcase game for starship troopers and Mm -hmm. and that's an asymmetrical game where the bug character or the bug player playing the aliens has you know he has these graph it was like hex graph sheets and you could draw your tunnels out and then the mobile Uh infantry player had like go come through the tunnels and and i remember reworking that to do them okay you you know back in the day but and and i run that i run it as a scenario at a convention actually before is a is a war game scenario where I had a, it, there are two forces fighting as asymmetricals. I, I yeah. forget, but but anyway, there there was in Russia or in the Soviet former Soviet Union, and then you know partially through the scenario, the giant ants pop up because you know nuclear yeah. tests or whatever, and and they had to fight the giant ants, and it was great because all you do is you go to the dollar store, you buy plastic ants, you know, and they fit yeah. perfectly oh, yeah, with all right. the minis and yep. stuff. So yeah, but no, it's, that's a favorite my of mine. New, yeah. Yeah. If you've been listening to my podcast recently, it's my whole new thing now, which is just to like, so I'm getting ready for Gary Khan and I'm just grabbing plastic monsters. That's the only thing I'm going to use is like plastic figures. Right. And so it's actually some of my plastic figures are actually quite expensive because I'm buying vintage plastic figures. But, but having said that, they were all at the time, you know, pennies on the dollar kind right. of plastic figures. And yeah, there's, you can get a lot of mileage out of, out of uh, scenarios that involve things that you can pick up in the kids' aisle at Target or whatever. Well, well um, yeah. And, and if you think about it, I mean, you know there's definitely degrees of quality for miniatures and painting and all that mm-hmm. but let, let's be honest your your dime store bag of plastic ants it doesn't get a whole lot they're, they're they fit next no. to any quality figure they're perfect yeah. they you know they're, they're the right size and they look you know as good as you're ever going to paint an ant probably 
you know, I mean, some people ants and spiders and yeah. things like that. Lizards, they're all pretty good in, in kids yeah. toys. They're fairly yeah. naturalistic or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Now I've, I, you mentioned, I've always wanted to get that uh, Starship Troopers game. I never been, never really gotten a hold of a copy of it. Now that you say it's asymmetrical in the way it's done. I'm, and I'd never thought to compare the two, but it really is. It's that tunnel bug hunt thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. I, I don't remember Nat, you know, that was a long time ago. I, I, I don't remember how well it worked. I, I, it'd be interesting. I, I've got my copy of that bookcase game somewhere. Um, I think I have a PDF of the rules, which is all I really need, you know, because I just want to read. I don't know if I right. want to play it or not. I mm-hmm. think I just want to read it. I, but, I don't know if my conversion, I'm I'm about to dig that box out because I don't know if my conversion notes are in there or not. So I'll have to see if that's still in there, what I did with that. I'll, I'll have to look for mm-hmm. that. Kind of a clever idea for like a, um, it would be a cool kind of two-player dungeon game too. Just to, Oh yeah, 100%. You know, right. Yeah. 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 Because you put, you know, soldier, Tommy guns and flamethrowers against the giant ants. Hmm. Yeah, so. but I just meant like a, the the uh, oh. asymmetrical the way that the works way the mm-hmm. like essentially the guy playing the bugs is is building a tunnel is the tunnel fixed the network fixed or is it like no you, said, you can if, yeah. as I remember and mind you it's been probably four years or thirty years at least it's been thirty yeah. it is since the eighties since I've looked at it but no I I remember blank pieces of paper graph paper so mm-hmm. you could make your own yeah you know, you're able to make your own tunnels and stuff. Um, cool. The, yeah. yeah, no, definitely. And there are games out there that do that, that have one player design the dungeon and the other player like go into it. They're, they're like little mini war games and board games to give you. Yeah, that a, I mean, that's essentially it. all a D&D, mm-hmm. but, you know, the difference is whether you design it ahead of time or whether you have like modules, like game pieces that you use on the fly right. at the table. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I've seen versions of that too. Yeah. Uh, there's been some card games over the years and things like that. Nothing really super successful, uh, except for maybe things like um, Descent or some of the or, or uh, Warhammer, not Warhammer. Um, what I'm trying to think of what's the one with the plastic miniatures? You've got it. Hero Quest. Uh, well, yeah. Well, this, uh, Warhammer Quest is my favorite. Yeah. But this yeah, this Quest, game yeah. here, I'm showing people Dungeon Lords from Z-Man Games, or I'm showing Ray that. Okay. Yeah. Dungeon. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm showing it to you or not. But Dun- Dungeon yeah. Lords, you build out, it's got seasons, it's got four seasons, and you build your dungeon, you you work for the evil overlord, right? And you're built, or you're the, you, you are the evil overlord, and you build out the dungeon, and then one season out of the four, adventurers invade your dungeon, and you have to try to fight them all. Hopefully the traps you set and the monsters you put in the right places will, you know, take care we'll of the do adventures. Them in. Yeah, do mm-hmm. them in. So that's kind of a fun game. I don't know if that's still in print, but I've had that for long time now probably 15 years i don't even know i think it is i think i've seen that around but maybe not yeah but it's a fun it's but you do it as a team thing sorry about the dogs and um so really it's not a good one player game you really you need three or four people for that game to shine so um, yeah honestly but but thank you i i i I don't want to keep you too long i really appreciate your you're reaching out. Oh, no, thanks for letting me talk us. about one of my. Thanks for letting me talk about one of my favorite movies. Yeah. No, not a problem. I'm. I think I need to take the dogs out, so I'm. I'm gonna let you go, Ray. Right. Thank you so much, and and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Joker by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? 
What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I better shoot him dead. Bring on the glow, bring on the glow. I want some more, bring on the glow. Well, you put your wrist at that spin and your oil by the tipper, and I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper. Don't look away. Zombies are rising and the world's gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.